Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to the GC On Demand podcast. My name is Eric Wright. You may know me as at Disco Posse on Twitter. And, of course, I'm Disco Posse in the Green Circle community. We had a really interesting couple of weeks uh, in the past here. As you'll notice, I've had some challenges around getting the podcast up to date. And that's because we've had a bit of a backlog going on. Number one, had a serious laptop failure, which resulted in losing a few different recordings. Uh, unfortunately, not everything was backed up. So, hey, here's a story for all the kids out there. Make sure you back your stuff up. So Dropbox is the place to go in, in, in my case. And, and unfortunately, I missed a couple. So we are going to go back and re-record some of those. But in the meantime, I thought this is a great opportunity to take a little time to just get down and personal. And a very interesting travel situation that happened, and I wanted to talk about it and how it relates as far as what happens when we think about 10x engineers. It's probably a weird correlation that I pulled from it, but the goal that I had when I thought about you know, what I want to talk about is I'm going to tell you a very true story. It's filled with challenge. It's filled with a little humor, and it really is filled with a lot of lessons. So the other day, uh, I was actually trying to get from uh, New York to Toronto. I'm actually getting ready to go to the uh, Vancouver or BC Regional VMUG. And uh, by the time you download this, hopefully I've already, already been there. And if I'm lucky enough, I'll have met you there. Now, what was interesting about this whole process was that I had to be able to get, just like I always do, and on a 6 o'clock flight, and that 6 o'clock flight would get me to Toronto, 7.30 in the morning, nice and easy. And then the end result... I'm back in Toronto, get a whole day's work done, get on a plane the next day, and, and off I go. It would seem like it's just that easy, except something happened along the way. There were some weather challenges. So my 6 o'clock flight ended up being canceled. Now, this happens more often than, than one would admit, really. Now, what I find is these commuter runs tend to kind of get bumped all the time. So they're usually delayed, and, and that's all well and good. So what happened with this one was I actually got delayed so long, even after the cancellation, they said, the next flight we can get for you is Wednesday night. Now, Wednesday night, for those who don't figure out the calendar already, is far past Wednesday morning, which is when I'm flying to Vancouver. So the end result was there's no way that I was going to be able to get on my particular airline in order to get back to Toronto in time to catch that next flight the following day. So luckily, it turned out to be early enough in the morning that I was able to beat the rush. And I saw there was an opportunity to jump on another airline, which would have flying, flown out of LaGuardia. So I had originally gone out of Newark. And for those who know, there's, there's three what they call New York airports. Newark, uh, which is actually New Jersey. It's not really New York. There's LaGuardia. And then there's JFK. So I saw this opportunity to jump on at like a 940 flight. It gives me lots of time to make sure I can get there. Don't have to worry about I beat the rush hour. I've, I've, I've got timing. It's all good. It can only go right. At least so I thought. 
So it turns out that the first flight was canceled because of weather. Despite the sunny skies outside, turns out there was real weather problems a bit further up in the atmosphere. It seems like about 10,000 feet, things get a little bit weird. Uh, it was pretty muddy up there because we'd had a lot of thunderstorms and there was a lot that were pending. So they decided to actually sort of freeze up the airspace in between uh, Toronto, New York, Boston, and, and all this sort of triangular area. So what happened was my 940 flight got delayed a little bit. Not a huge amount, but enough that yeah, it's just a little bit irritating. So about half an hour later than normal, I got onto the plane for my 940. So it's now you know, 10 after 10. No big deal. Still got lots of time. I'm going to miss a couple of meetings, but I can email and we, we got that sorted out. So I managed to defer a couple of quick meetings and, and I realized no problem. I'm still going to be on the ground. I have a meeting in Toronto and I'm going to get there in time. You see, this is where the fun happens, though, because the adventure is not over yet. What happened next, of course, was three and a half hours of sitting on the tarmac in order to figure out that, guess what? No planes were flying regardless of what airline. Now, I hadn't really you know, thought this could happen. It was in the back of my mind that it was going to be more than just the one airline, but it was worth a shot anyways. Everything looked like it was going on time, and it turns out it wasn't. It wasn't at all. So the challenge that I was now facing is here I am about three and a half hours into a delayed flight, which kept getting delayed and delayed, and then we got rerouted. So we're rerouted before we even leave the ground, which results in them saying, well, we've got to come back out of this holding and launch pattern. We've got to get back in because we have to refuel. Because not only do we have to refuel, we have to get more fuel in order to get us on this rerouted, you know, route, this path we're going to take. No big deal. I'm, I'm good with that, as were the you know, 85 or so other folks that were on this plane. So the next step, of course, is to wait. We refuel. We're happily waiting on the plane. Everybody's sort of snoozing. I think a few other people got up as early as I did. We get to the point where everything's refueled. We go back into the, the pattern. We're getting ready to, to take off, and there we wait and wait and wait some more. And doing all this waiting, what ended up happening was then, of course, about 40 more minutes in, we start to feel the engine surge, and they start to roll, and I think, oh, thank goodness, here we are, we're finally getting ready to launch, or at least take off. I wish it was a launch. End result is that an overhead announcement comes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry to announce that we have to go back to the gate to refuel because we've been rerouted once again and it requires us to get additional fuel. Now, I'm not sure what magical fuel tanks they haven't filled up yet or whether they've just strapped a couple onto the bottom of the plane at this point. I can't even imagine why it is that we have to keep refueling because I don't seem to recall we were using that much fuel just sitting there on the tarmac. But I'm not a pilot, so I'm not going to question it. We get on back to the gate, and then they let us know, well, you know what, folks, if you want to get off the plane and you want to take a little walk around, then you're free to do so. Just stay close to the gate, and we'll make announcements inside the gate area. But, of course, if you want to stay on the plane, you're, you feel free to do so, which I did. So staying on the plane seemed like the good idea because I figured just in case, the last thing I need is to miss the one flight that I'm actually physically sitting on and end up missing it for that reason. 
Well, about 20 minutes in, all of a sudden, the next announcement comes. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to let you know to please exit the plane. Take all of your carry-on with you. We're going to ask that while we're refueling, that everybody must wait inside. I can't imagine that this is a protocol because we actually just refueled already while out on the tarmac with everybody on board. So I'm, I'm going to call Bravo Sierra on them, you know, using some kind of rule book as to making us get in. All of my spidey senses going off saying that this is a real problem and something is about to happen. But they assured us that everything was going to be okay. I gave them the benefit of the doubt, head inside only to find out about another 30 to 40 minutes in, they announced that our flight is in fact canceled. So here we are, cancellation number two for the day. And what ends up happening? Every flight out to Toronto is canceled through the entire day and potentially the entire next day. This leaves me in a real quandary because I need to get back. I need to get out of, out of New York in order to get to Toronto to get to Vancouver. Now, I could probably try and get to Vancouver directly in two days, but goodness gracious, like who knows what happens if, if the problem is in, in the northeast region. That's where I'm going to get caught. So at any rate, I decided to get the longest possible route, which is to take a bus. So I got on the Megabus. And for folks that have been on the east side of the, uh, of the country, you've probably been through Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, New York, Boston, they have this neat little thing called the Megabus. It's kind of like Greyhound Plus. They've got Wi-Fi and, and plugs, although the Wi-Fi didn't work, nor did we find any of the plugs under most of the seats. And end result was we all sat there, a full busload, in fact, as we prepared to board this 650 bus, which would take us from New York down by Hudson over to Toronto. It's a 12-hour ride, three half-hour stops, you can imagine that this is pure desperation that's driving. Most of the folks on the bus were actually on the planes that I had been waiting to get to. So I wasn't alone in, in my need to, to get to Toronto, except the fun part was we still had a couple of hours to wait. In fact, we had three hours to wait. And if you haven't ever taken the Megabus, there's actually no shelters for the Megabus. See, the Megabus just parks along the side of the street down by the Hudson River on 34th between 11th and 12th which is precisely in the middle of nowhere, uncovered. And guess what? That very same weather that keeps planes on the ground, well, it does a mighty fine job of soaking about 80 people who were sitting in that bus lineup waiting to get on this bus. So in a downpour that I would only describe as biblical at this point, because it was terrifying how much rain was coming down. In fact, cars were stopping because it was unsafe to drive. And there we all were, like ret rodents getting poured down on. And then we finally get on the bus. And the bus is half an hour late, so we sat for half an hour longer in the rain. We get on the bus. The bus is blasting with air conditioning, so we're fairly sure we're all going to at least get sick, if not suffer pretty greatly during this whole trip. They managed to get all that sorted out. And Anyways, we, we made it back to Toronto safely. It was about an hour behind, and... We got there, they got the heat working, and we all dried off slowly over the course of many hours, and we kind of made it out scot-free. So the total travel time from the 3.40 wake-up that I had in the morning turned out to be about 29 to 30 hours of travel time. Feels like I could have ridden a bike in that time, but 
Anyways, what's the point of the story? First of all, it was crazy fun. It was kind of weird. Uh, at some point, you become so disturbingly angry about the fact that you're trapped in the situation. There's no way out. I thought, well, at least if I get on something that's got wheels, there's a chance it's going to make it out. Well, luckily it did. And, and while it's a long way, I knew that I needed to get into town in order to, to catch this crazy next plane. All the while, I'm unable to really do a lot of work. But then it sort of hit me. that Maybe this is a bit of forced time. Maybe there's a good reason. My wife was very good to remind me that there's good reasons why some things happen and maybe something else was avoided in order to, to get me onto this particular journey. Uh, while I may not have been the dog, the cat, and the bear, or whatever that crazy story was in the original incredible journey, it felt pretty incredible while I was experiencing it. Made it through okay, got a reasonable amount of fractured sleep during the process, and now I'm getting ready to go to Vancouver. The good thing about this is it taught me a neat lesson. In slowing down, I had a sudden realization that I was used to doing a lot in a very short period of time. Sometimes this happens and it's a bit of a self-regulating thing. And this is the 10X problem. If you've heard about you know, 10X engineers, I don't even actually know what the origin is directly. There's obviously a lot of talk around you know, Google and, and, and a few big engineering shops. And their idea of creating these like super productive, heroic type of folks that are able to do amazing things. I always tell people that if you have a 10x engineer, you find me a 10x engineer and I'll find a team of people wrapped around them who's really kind of tired of having to be compared against this 10x person. When you're the 10x person, it's even weirder because sometimes you need to slow down a little bit. So suddenly you find yourself delivering at about 6x, and you've got people walking up to you saying, hey, Art, is everything okay? Like, I, I noticed that you're, you know, kind of slowing down a bit. We've created this sort of artificial floor now that you have to perform at a particular level or above. The danger in doing that is it celebrates overwork, it celebrates stress, it celebrates these heroics. Now, I'm not going to say that I don't participate in a lot of it myself. I'm not going to say that I don't celebrate it amongst a lot of folks in my team at work and in the community and, and all over the place. I've always done it, but my goal was to at least be like maybe two and a half X. seems like a good number. You can be 10 X some days, but let's, let's level off here and there and let, have it average out. I can only warn you out of this. What ends up happening was in the quest for heroics, I ended up very humbled in having to spend 30 hours to do what should have taken an hour and a half to get done. That was a reminder that 10x is not a permanent condition. And we have to think about that as we slow down. And maybe you should kind of force yourself into a situation to slow that thing down. There are lots of really good authors out there that write about the 10x value, but also the dangers of going out too hard continuously. You know, Steve Prefontaine, famous runner, of course, Steve uh, was famous for leading out out of the gate. And what would happen is that he lost a significant number of his early races because he was eating the winds the entire time. And then he would basically trail off at the end because someone would be in his draft. And while you're running, it doesn't seem like you can get a whole lot of drafting done. It's actually surprising amount can be done. Now, obviously, he became better at it with time. But again, you know, just because you can perform at 10x doesn't mean you can perform at 10x all the time. So be careful. Tread carefully. We only have one body, one soul, and one family. 
we've got to make sure we take care of all of those three things. And this is where I thought to myself, maybe being 10x isn't the right idea. As a cycling fan, if you know, in cycling teams, we have the leader. Let's just call them your 10x person. You've got the entire team that wraps around them. And they are what we call the domestiques. Domestiques effectively do, you know, sort of domestic tasks that make sure that the leader is protected. They're kept from the wind, kept in a group, protected from falls, make sure we get their food for them and make sure that we go out in front and, you know, basically ravage the, the front of the, the race in order to do some damage to some individuals on the other teams. And meanwhile, we have the rest of our team wrapped around our leader to give them lots of drafting and make sure that we can save their legs for the big finish or something. So I would encourage people to become a technology domestique. Being a technology domestique means taking time out to do something incredible, to be heroic, but in the service of somebody else. That's why I do community. And community is a very powerful thing because you can do something heroic and then hand it off to somebody and they get the benefit from it. And in turn, of course, you do gain benefit. This is the real value of community and why I want to make sure that we all take a moment when you feel like you're trying to do 10x delivery and you can't stop for a second. Find somebody else that you believe can help you through that or that can take that lead for you. And what do you do? Go out on the front, eat the wind for a while for them. Become a technology domestique. I can't tell you that it's a perfect world. I can't tell you that it always works. I can't tell you that there's always somebody there to take the wind for you. But what I can tell you is you'll be there often enough that the best team member is one who can be the domestique. And then, who knows, you may have your time out in front that everybody else takes the win for you, and then you get to take the win. So, think about that. As you head down some incredible journey that you feel is holding you back, you feel you're not getting enough done, you're, you're, you're really, I really honestly felt my reputation was on the line because I was canceling meetings, I was disappointing folks. I had become... 10x what I really needed to be, dangerously so. That day off, or at least day on the road, and it wasn't a day off, got a lot of work done, but what it gave me was the ability to rethink things again. We need to revisit this all the time. And I would encourage you to become a technology domestique, and if you haven't got one and you don't need to be one, then find one, because this is what the community's for. With that, I would encourage you. You want to see good technology domestiques? I like to say that I am one for the virtual design master community. Also, at the time we're doing the Vancouver VMUG, I'll be giving a containers conversation there for the keynote at lunch, which is going to be a lot of fun. But in fact, the very same day on Thursday, June the 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern time is the premiere of season five of Virtual Design Master, the one and only IT reality competition. And... We're looking for domestiques, and we are going to be that for everybody in that community. So we've got a 
We've got a, a great group of folks which are joining us. We've got a great set of judges. So go to virtualdesignmaster.io. You can read about it there. You can get involved. You can you know send a shout out, follow along on Twitter. It's hashtag virtualdesignmaster. Reach out to me, of course. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. Uh, follow along with the, uh, the community, our creative team, which is at, at Vemus33, of course, Melissa and Angelo, at Angelo Luciani, L-U-C-I-A-N-I. Uh, join us there. We will find ourselves some 10x folks and we'll try and give them the tools they need to be 10x for five weeks. And then hopefully we'll give them a break and we'll eat the wind for them. With that, thank you everybody. And we'll talk to you next week on the next GC On Demand. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.